friends. Welcome back to another episode of the New Evangelicals Podcast. So if you notice, I'm not in my normal spot. I'm actually in my kitchen area, living room, dining room. <laughs> I don't know. My wife's laughing at me as I record this, so I'm just going to roll with it and not edit anything so you can see what kind of idiot I am behind the scenes. But um, can I help you? I'm trying to record an intro for New Evangelicals. All right, let me try it again. Hi, friends. Just kidding. So listen, on this episode of the podcast, I, wait, I never told you guys why I'm down here. It's really hot outside in my third story loft where I do most of my recordings is too hot for my computer. So I moved everything downstairs for this interview. And let me tell you what an interview it was. I interviewed Mike Graham. Mike wrote a great article called the six way fracturing of evangelicalism. And Mike did a really good job here of kind of giving six different types of Christians and kind of where they land and how they intersect. And it's very helpful and it gave me so much clarity. So I brought Mike on to talk about this article. And honestly, Mike really knows his stuff. He's super intelligent. I will tell you now, he might be a little conservative for some of you, but that is okay. Because like Mike said, he's all about good, um, good faith discussions, meaning even if we don't see eye to eye, we still want to be able to hear each other and share perspectives and do our best to learn. And this is a great interview where you can do that. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. That being said, of course, I want to say thank you to everyone who has shared the podcast and shared the YouTube link. If you could do us a huge favor, as I always ask, please give us a rating and a review and a like and a subscribe. It really helps us out. And it's something that's so simple to do. It takes about two seconds. That's my wife. You want to say hi to everyone? I'm not going to edit any of this. It's going on Instagram, on YouTube. Want to say hi? Hey, all you cool cats and kids. <laughs> I'm definitely going to edit this episode. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this is a really weird intro. But I'm just going to roll with it. So yeah, if you guys can, can like and subscribe and share the podcast, that'd be super helpful. And of course, thank you to everyone who has given to the New Evangelicals to make all of this happen. If you want to donate, the link is below. Okay, I'm going to stop this intro before it gets any weirder. Without further ado, here is my interview with Mike Graham. That was weird. Mike, thank you so much for making time um, for, for the interview. Yes, hello. Hello out there. It's fun recording video now because people, sometimes they, they don't match up the voice with the, the body. You know what I mean? I do, I do a terrible job of that. So now there's video to this, which is great. Um, thanks for making time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Tim. Absolutely. So, you know, what we're talking about today is an article that you published um, called The Six-Way Fracturing of Evangelicalism. I came across this maybe three weeks ago now, give or take. Uh, read it, thought, wow, this is really great. Give it to my audience. They loved it. Um, so I really want to dig into this article today. But, but before we do that, why don't you kind of give us maybe just a big picture overview of who you are, your background, and maybe the inspiration behind this article? Yeah. Uh, thank you, Tim. Um, yeah. So um, my name is Mike Graham. Um, I'm the executive pastor at a church called Orlando Grace Church. Um, I'm the executive um, uh, producer for a podcast called As in Heaven. Um, it's a podcast that lives on the, the Gospel Coalition podcast network. Um, that podcast is focused on um, taking one really large topic and um, doing a deep dive on uh, an entire season on a particular topic. So um, in our first season, we just did a deep dive in Orlando. I'm in the city of Orlando. So we did eight episodes, just kind of um, trying to reintroduce um, our city um, to the churches that are in our city. And then mm -hmm. our second season, and this is when we joined um, the Gospel Coalition Podcast Network. Um, okay. and, we, and we produced content that wasn't just, you know, <laughs> regional specific, um, was we did a deep dive on basically racial justice. And so, um, mm. so we just finished, um, 24 episodes with that. And then we wow. have, um, a bonus episode on, um, where we interviewed Tim Keller and then Erwin Ince, who's the, um, uh, the moderator for the PCA. So we, okay. just, we interviewed those guys live at the, um, this past, um, April at the, uh, uh, TGC, um, national, uh, national conference. So, wow. um, yeah, those are the, those are the two main hats that I wear. Um, I'm very interested. So our third season in our podcast is going to be on, um, uh, de-churching. So, um, we're currently <laughs> experiencing the, probably the third largest religious shift in, um, American history. 
probably somewhere on order of 75 to 110 million people have left the church in my lifetime. Yeah. Um, so it's probably the, the second, the second or third biggest shift behind the first and second great awakenings, but it's moving yeah. in the opposite direction. Yeah. So, um, have a lot of interest in that and, um, are working with some sociologists currently to study that quantitatively. And we're going to be doing, um, after we finish our nationwide quantitative study on that, then we'll be, um, we have season three written in terms of the arc of that on dechurching. Um, but we'll probably do 20, 25 episodes on that particular phenomenon. And, um, which I think would probably really resonate with, um, a lot of the, a lot of your <laughs> yeah. audience. So, I would say so. <laughs> yeah. But we're, we're, we, we don't want to speak about anything without doing it intelligently yeah. and without hard data. And so yeah. it's really important to us, um, to work with, uh, information that's hard and fast and yeah. where people are telling us, um, in their own terms, um, yeah. what they are, um, thinking, feeling yeah. and experiencing. Mm. So, um, yeah, so that's yeah. kind of my background. So, so this story, um, here, um, writing about the, you know, the six way fracturing of evangelicalism, my core thesis is that, um, evangelicalism is fracturing into six roughly distinct groups. Mm. And, um, this, uh, I think the 2016 was kind of a, a nationwide x-ray and yes, it was. if 2016 was a nationwide x-ray, then, um, COVID year, and I'm going to use the term COVID year as everywhere from like February, March of, of 2020 yeah. up through, you know, at least the middle of 2021. And so okay. COVID year, I think was a 3d MRI. Mm, and so, wow. um, as a result of like, just, I think there's a lot of things that, you know, kind of everybody's cards are on the table, you know, yeah. you choose your metaphor of, you know, there's sure. no more waterline for the iceberg. We see everything, um, yeah. you know, everyone, you know, everyone's kind of thoughts are more or less kind of out there. And I yeah. think there's a lot of, there's a lot of relational, um, organizational, institutional, theological, cultural, political, socioeconomic, and mm. even ethnic implications for, um, for those things being previously um, unseen, but now really kind yeah. of seen. And yeah. I think it's going to take a couple of years for really all of that to flush itself out and what that yeah. means. But if you think about relationships, and I'm, I'm not saying this to be crass or to, to demean relationships mm. um, in a way or to quantify them, you know, um, inappropriately. But sure. if you think about relationships a little bit like stock tickers, and instead of monetary value, um, what's being measured is how much intimacy um, is wise between you and that other party. Mm. I think a lot of relationships have been really repriced, um, both in 2016. You know, there's a little bit of volatility, you know, and some relationships probably got repriced around then. And then I think relationships really got pretty dramatically repriced um, during COVID year. You know, and obviously, you know, the animating things, you know, the kind of nationwide Rorschach tests, so to speak, yeah, yeah, of, yeah. you know, a global pandemic and how you process that brings in science, brings in um, lots of different things, you know, in terms yeah. of, you know, how you process those things. Um, obviously, the at least, you know, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd um, yeah. certainly rebringing up to the fore um, the national conversation on racial justice. Yeah. And bring all different kinds of thoughts policy wise into that, whether that's policing or reparations or um, just general relationships, um, yeah. relational proximity, um, these kinds of things. Yeah. And then obviously another very contentious um, election cycle and mm -hmm. kind of included in that on maybe on the on the book end of that being the events of January 6th. And yeah. so these things, you know, really kind of illuminated, you know, you know, key differences in terms of how people process the same, the same events and, yeah. or the filters through which, um, have been really revealed to in terms of how people think about things. You, know, you can, you can yeah. look at the same ink blot <laughs> and you can come to very different conclusions and yeah. you have to ask yourself of like, okay, you know, how do we, how do we look at a lot of these same things and come to such divergent, you know, conclusions, those are things yes. that are, you know, kind of really worth exploring. And so, 
you know, as we, as we, you know, just kind of going through all of this, these thoughts were really kind of forming in my head around, um, kind of fall, um, of last year. I really just kind of starting to feel some of these, um, different groups pretty acutely and some of their differences and, you know, divergence. And then, you know, as the year just kind of continued on, you know, whether that's the racial justice conversation or the political conversations or just how even people process the pandemic, it's like, wow, you know, three pretty big, pretty big wedges at the same time um, mm-hmm. that seem to really kind of end up slotting people into some pretty um, increasingly identifiable tribes. Yeah. And, and then you start to realize like, okay, these wedges are driving people into various tribes, but the tribes really kind of already existed if you kind of trace them back. And so, um, if I, if I could, um, I'll share the, those six, um, tribes. Is this a good time for that? I I just want to comment briefly on everything you just said, um, because you really, um, you know, with real good language and really articulately, you know, really summed up a lot of how a lot of us on my account have been feeling, you know, like we have everything you said, we're like, yep, yep, yep. You know, I, I call them ingredients. Like what are the main ingredients that, that create this like deconstruction cake essentially. And you kind of just walked us through all the big ones, you know, like all the ones that people like myself who grew up evangelical, um, until recently, until I I was asked to step down was at an evangelical church, you know, um, have said like, yeah, I, I don't know if, if I can, you know, I'm not sure what to do with this whole election year with, with how COVID's being handled. So I appreciate you at least giving language to it. You know, like I appreciate you even saying that, yeah, like, you know, as a pastor, we're seeing these trends and we want to know the data. Like we want to know because people like myself who are not, you know, sociologists, I can't give you hard and fast data. I can just give you experiences. I can give you thousands of DMs I get, you know, et cetera. Um, but I can't give you like, okay, here's the statistical number. So it will be interesting to see if, if, if my experience and the people on my account, if that experience is really reflected in whatever study you end up, you know, in, in the conclusions that you come to, or if we're just kind of in a bubble that really isn't the norm. I suspect, of course, it's the former, but that's only because of my bias, right? But, um, you know, based on what you said, I, I'm looking forward to that study. So that's very cool stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, that being said, if you want to hop into, uh, you know, these six categories that you, that you created and how they intersect, I think that that would be wonderful. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so the, if you want, I'm sure in the show notes or whatever you can, you know, maybe under the, under this, I'm, you'll probably, I'm sure put the, you know, the, the article link and Definitely. if you want to hit pause here, you can, and you can go read it. It's like a 10 minute yep. read, um, yep. 3000 words, but, um, if not, um, uh, here we go for the kind of six categories. The first category is a neo-fundamentalist evangelical. So these are people who have, um, whose, whose biggest animating concerns are political and theological liberalism. Um, sometimes this group might overlap and or have similar concerns as Christian nationalists. Um, so there might be, you know, kind of the Venn diagram, there might be a, a significant amount of kind of overlap there, but those things aren't necessarily the same thing. Um, some key mm. figures um, in this world would be like John MacArthur, James White, James Bauckham, White, yeah. Tom Buck, yeah. Tom Askell, Apology Radio. Um, to a lesser extent, you know, kind of Ligonier Ministries is kind of in there, mm. you know, um, Jeff Durbin and the yeah. those guys, um, yeah. you know, and each one of these, you know, there's different flavors to kind of, you know, you get some of these guys are Reconstructionists and you know, others. And, and then there's, a, and then there's like even another world that's, um, not, you know, it's more outside the reformed world. That would be like Robert Jeffress and mm-hmm. it would be more like baby boomer centric. Um, that really brings a lot of like the, that's more on the Christian nationalism side of things and less on the intellectual side of things. So that would kind of be what we're going to call ones. So a one neo-fundamentalist, neo-fundamentalist evangelical. Okay. Got it. Um, twos are mainstream evangelicals. Um, so historically evangelical, if you remember, um, or maybe you, you interacted with this guy named Bevington, the, the technical definition of an evangelical is a, is basically according to this thing called the Bevington quadrilateral. Mm-hmm. Um, and the four, the four qualities of this were conversionism, um, which is basically the idea that, you know, you have to be born again. 
activism, um, which twos aren't necessarily huge on unless it's um, uh, pro-life slash anti-abortion kind of stuff. Um, so activism is a little bit selective for twos. Um, third being biblicism. Um, usually biblicism is just here another way to say in, uh, a belief in having a high view of scripture probably means inerrancy, probably means a belief in infallibility of scripture. And then fourth, crucicentrism, which is that's just a fancy way to say um, a centrality for um, the atonement and particularly um, probably in, in view um, penal substitutionary atonement um, with that. So that would be like, like kind of theologically where um, yeah. like twos would be. And this would probably be true also for threes and fours. We'll get to that in a second. Um, really, a lot of the differences between twos, threes, and fours come down to um, activism and what does that mean? Um, mm -hmm. And the kind of, yeah, there's a lot of a, a lot of agreement in terms of what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, might, and strength and, and the vertical relationship where a lot yeah. of the rubber meets the road. And the divergences between um, threes and fours is the what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? What, how does it mm. play itself out? What is the you know what is the role of the church in the world? Um, yeah. And kind of philosophy of ministry stuff, um, and or um, one's affect and how strongly you feel about those things. But anyways, still talking about um, twos. Twos are um, primarily still concerned like ones with the encroachment of um, the secular left and the way that that might um, uh, be imported or um, uh, be a cause for concern um, with respect to the, to the local church. Their, their concerns are more about theological liberalism um, than um, political liberalism, but political liberalism is still a major um, point. Um, politically speaking, twos would be still um, very much monolithic um, politically. Um, they would be very much um, at least 80, 85 percent um, plus um, in you know, uh, voting for the GOP. Hmm. Um, so those are just some of the um, from, from an ethnic standpoint. And maybe this is a good time to just kind of mention this. Um, this whole um, taxonomy that I've yeah. created here, um, I could have put the, the sixfold fracturing of white evangelicalism, um, these yeah. categories would not, not map as cleanly um, in, other, in other forms of Protestantism. So whether that's mainline Protestantism or black Protestants, um, you know, some people who are black and Protestant also identify as evangelical, many do not, okay? Right. So right. those that do not or mainline, this would, these categories will not map quite as well. I think some of them will still resonate um, but just note that that's a thing, even in some of the feedback, um, got some feedback from some Catholic and Orthodox folks that they're seeing some of these, some of these things too, but there's going to be different flavors and contours to all that. So yeah. just know, like if, if you're coming from, you know, if you're listening to this and interacting with it and you're coming from those traditions, know that this is, this is my vantage point and it's not, these categories might not be as clean and neat, um, for you. And you can just kind of take and rework those things, um, you know, kind of for yourselves. The extent to which there'll be overlap between these categories in in you know in my part of Protestantism versus your part of Christianity um, will be related to how the similarities will only be be because not won't won't be, be because of theology. It will be mm -hmm. because of the common animating factors that are cultural, political, socioeconomic, and ethnic. Mm -hmm. So. Um, so largely ones and twos are probably going to be mainly um, white. Okay. Um, really, you start to get um, greater ethnicity starting around 2.5 and above. Um, mm. You usually don't get much below that um, unless it's a pretty niche voice. And again, <laughs> evangelicals, they love their niche voices. And you can always find somebody who will, you know, yes. who'll, who'll I'm thinking of someone right now you. that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can always find somebody who will who'll say what you want to say and, yeah, and, yeah. and we'll reward them with um, <laughs> likes and shares and yeah. whatever. But I'm not here yeah, to talk sure. about that. That's another, Fair that's another enough. topic for another time. <laughs> and the ethics of that too. Um, yes, yes, yes. But everybody deserves their own voice in the same in the same you know, standpoint, my only, Absolutely. you know, I want to take every single person seriously. Um, I think the, yeah. the only thing that bothers me about that whole dynamic is 
um, I want to listen to people who, who are good faith conversation partners. Hmm. If, if somebody's a good faith conversation partner, let's talk, you know, yeah. but if somebody is say on the grift or they're doing something because they're just trying to be provocative to build an audience, um, especially if they're trying to do that to monetize that audience, that's another yeah. conversation. And so, yeah. um, you know, how you're going to take that and process that's a little different. Okay. On the threes. Um, right. Threes are neo-evangelicals. Okay. Okay. Um, now bear in mind, um, pretty much all of these are my own terms. Okay. Um, both neo-evangelical and post-evangelical have previously been technical terms that have meant different things sociologically than what I'm saying here. Okay. I just couldn't come up with other terms be beyond some of these post-evangelical, which is fours. This is a term that was used um, in the past during the emergent church movement. Yeah. But um, I'm kind of reclaiming that term here because that hasn't been much of a conversation for the last decade. And so I'm repurposing that. So same a little bit with neo-evangelicals. So a neo-evangelical is somebody who sees themselves as an evangelical in the global sense of the term, in that global Mm. movement, but, and doctrinally, um, there's, they're very much orthodox. They would see very eye to eye um, on theology with twos. Um, There's going to be philosophy of ministry differences between twos and threes. Um, Mm. But um, threes, neo-evangelicals, threes, are not going to use the term evangelical um, uh, necessarily super frequently. They mm. might use that term um, when they're talking with other people who are like twos or threes. You know, when we're having an insider conversation within within you know um, Protestantism, but if you're talking to your neighbor, you know, and the, the, say they're not a Christian or they don't have good categories for these things, like I'm not going to say that you know, hey, I'm an evangelical pastor. You know, right. I'm going to say, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Christian minister, you know, or I'm a member of the clergy or, um, I'm Protestant or some of these, different, you know, different kind of things. Sure. I'm, I'm like, I'm in the low threes. That's where, you know, I'm at personally. So everybody who's listening to this, you deserve to know, you know, kind of where my vantage point is here on this. And so my understanding of some of these things in terms of nuances are going to be, is going to be best <laughs> really a little bit like somewhere in in the 2.5 to like 3.7 ranges where I'm probably going to be, um, have the best insights, um, just because of, you know, that's kind of my world. Um, so, um, so threes, new evangelicals, um, within the church, um, they're, they, they are both concerned about the secular left and the secular right politically Mm -hmm. and theologically. Um, most threes are going to find themselves um, probably politically homeless, um, and probably in a place where it's like, um, you know, I'm sure there's some threes that probably, you know, held their nose and voted Donald Trump. There's probably others who held their nose and voted, um, you know, for Joe Biden. Um, and then there's probably many who voted three party, third party. And there's probably a number that just like, nah, I'm sitting this out, you know? So, um, threes are very much concerned, um, about, um, the cleaning of the inside of the cup of evangelicalism to borrow Jesus's, you know, you know, his conversation with the Pharisees of, um, cleaning the inside of the cup. So some of the things that threes are concerned about cleaning, cleaning the inside of the cup would be, um, racism, misogyny, and sexual abuse. Um, Mm. this is kind of probably the, the biggest trinity of concerns, um, uh, as a three, I think that these are real concerns. Um, I think they warrant um, significant conversation and real and real action. Um, I think that that involves three things. I think that involves um, repentance, mm. um, reform, mm-hmm. and renewal. Mm. Now, um, the difference here um, between and this is kind of where we get the differences between threes and fours. Um, fours. Um, so these are people that we're going to call post evangelicals. Mm. These are people that have, they, they might have fully left evangelicalism in terms of the technical term. Okay. Um, they would never use that term, you know, uh, for themselves. Mm. So, you know, say, take somebody like Eric Mason or Jamar Tisby, mm-hmm. you know, who are black Protestants, right. Right. You know, so like doctrinally, 
zero difference between, you know, me and Jamar or me and Eric, you know, I mean, with Jamar is Presbyterian. So we, you know, have minor <laughs> disagreements about, you know, baptism. Right. I'm just, I'm like 60, 40 credo versus Pato, right? But, right, um, right. And whatever. I mean, I'll die and Jesus tell me I'm wrong and that's okay. I don't care. <laughs> right. um, whatever. So, but um, all that to say, you know, so you could have people where it's like doctrinally, there's, there's very little difference. Some fours may have left evangelicalism for a different, a different kind of Protestantism. They may have left for the, the Anglican church or the Episcopal church mm-hmm. or, you know, um, LCMS, ELCA, um, you know, other kind of mainline, mainline expressions. Um, the, the seven sisters, so you get the, um, Methodists and anyways, all, you know, uh, disciples of Christ, church of Christ. Um, then you have a lot of, um, you have a lot of, um, kind of historically black, um, Protestants. So you have Kojic, um, you have the, um, uh, African Methodist Episcopal, the AME um, Church. A lot of these folks would probably live in the somewhere in the three to four and a half range, depending on mm. you know contextual um, considerations. So, um, so some people have kind of left evangelicalism for a different expression within Protestantism, and then some have left um, evangelicalism for say the Orthodox or the Catholic Church, and mm-hmm. so that's where kind of fours live. And so doctrinally, there might be some pretty significant differences, um, within this group of fours. Um, Mm -hmm. however, my experience is that they still have really these three same animating concerns of concerns over racism, misogyny, and sexual abuse. Um, where, where threes and fours diverge on this is where, um, is probably in affect. Um, fours have probably felt these things um personally mm-hmm. and more acutely mm-hmm. and they may have experienced more woundedness um in terms of having really negative experiences you know firsthand if we had mm-hmm. more time i could tell some ministry war stories you know yeah. I, I sense from you know just kind of our dialogue that you know you have your own war stories you know that are there and so i think sometimes um you know, firsthand negative personal experiences with either Christians, mm-hmm. Christian institutions, um, or just observing the unhealthy aspects of the movement of, you know, in the movement as a whole, um, can really move somebody from the three to four range and be like, you know what, this is so divergent from like the Jesus that I see like in the Bible and in the text, I just don't even hardly recognize some of these things can really move somebody, you know, in that direction. Um, Can I just comment briefly on that? Briefly. And you're, man, this is so good. All of it's so good. I don't want to interrupt too much. Um, I think, you know, your uh, assessment of that three to four shift, at least in my personal experience and in some people that I know on my account is, is accurate. Um, Because I would definitely, even when I started this account in December, this new evangelicals thing, you know, would find myself uh, maybe on like the high three range, you know, like three and a half to like, you know, 3.9. Um, but since things have transpired the way that they did, I find myself more and more, you know, like actually that, that was really like concerning and having more empathy for people who maybe who are sounding the, who, who have sounded the alarm louder than I have in the past now saying, actually, I get it. And it's because of my love for Jesus and wanting to follow him better that I think there's a real concern here. So I do, I track with that. You know, I think that it makes a lot of sense because I've experienced that in my own personal life. So, yeah, I mean, and I have, I have firsthand, like some of my closest friends have been, um, have experienced sexual abuse. Um, and some of that has, you know, has been in the proximity of, of church. Mm. And it's like, man, especially if, if anybody is listening to this right now, and this is your story, like, I mean, I just want to like, just like hug you through the computer screen, pray for you, like tell you that that is wrong and that's evil and that, um, Jesus like really does love you and he cares for you and um, he really wants to minister to you and don't, don't give up on him um, because um, of just all the sinful and broken things that have happened to you. The same thing is true. If, you know, if you're listening to this and you've been, you know, you've experienced racism in the church or um, misogyny and these different kinds of things. um, I mean, I guess, I mean, if there's a, and maybe I'll get to get into this in a little bit. Um, and just in terms of a word that I'd love to say, um, 
you know, for anybody who's listening is kind of the difference between deconstruction and um, what the reformers called semper reformanda. And that's just a Latin term for that translates always reforming. Yeah. And I think this is maybe a little bit of the difference between threes and fours as well. And just kind of nuancing things a little bit. Um, uh, Once you get beyond like 4.5, you're entering like really hard deconstruction, right? Um, Semper reformanda involves deconstruction. Okay. The idea of always reforming from the reformers was this, and this is my background guys. I went to reform theological seminary in Orlando. (laughs) So, and I'm cerebral and analytical. And so bear with me as I just kind of unpack this term. So the the idea for the reformers was this, is that we're never going to fully arrive, you know, doctrinally, theologically, practically, emotively. Um, And, you know, if I can import some, you know, Leslie Newbegin here as well, it's just, we, we have, I think sometimes we, we don't necessarily comprehend um, how important it is for us to communicate in ways that are comprehensible to our context. And um, I think, you know, if you think about this in, uh, here's, here's a mirror image. So here's a photo negative for you. Satan. Satan is really good at contextualization. Okay. He understands in the Western world that I want to convince the Western world that God doesn't exist and I don't, and Satan doesn't exist either. Okay. But then in other parts of the world, he very much wants to convince people that gods, (laughs) God or gods, you know, Allah exists or gods exist or whatever, and that he exists. And, you know, and so I think we, we have to communicate in ways that are comprehensible to people. And this is why, like, we have to always, you know, the Christian faith, um, there's certain aspects of it that are fixed, and there are other aspects of it that are dynamic. And so the parts that are dynamic are, you know, just kind of our religious expression, you know, our beliefs remain the same, but the way in which we belong, um, you know, evolves. And, um, you know, you know, many of our ethical norms in terms of behavior are fixed, but other aspects, you know, uh, will will be different depending on your context. You know, for example, like the meat sacrifice to idols, it's going to look different. You know, you have all kinds of meat sacrifice to idols, you know, kinds of scenarios that play themselves all all around the you know different world, and where ethically, you know, you wouldn't want to do certain things in this part mm-hmm. of the world, whereas you know this part of the world, yeah, fine. You know, anyways. So the the, the idea of you know that we're always reforming is we're, we're always finding, you know, better and deeper ways to understand, um, God's word. We're finding better and deeper practices to, to be connected to God, you know, whether that's, you know, through prayer or various different disciplines, you know, ways that we might recite, you know, different things. I mean, we're complex creatures, you know, physical, um, emotional, um, we have chemical systems, um, biological systems, um, yeah. you know, all the, all the neurobiological stuff. I mean, we're, we're super complicated anyways, all that to say this threes are more concerned with the idea of separate reformanda than they are deconstruction. And I want to, if you're a four or somewhere in the, you know, 3.6 to 4.5 range, I want to talk to you for a second mm-hmm. because, um, my concern about, um, deconstruction and deconstruction is necessary. Um, you have two different things. You have diagnosis and prescription. Mm. Diagnosis is where you identify what's wrong. Prescription is where you figure out in light of what's wrong, how do we fix it? Mm. I think both threes and fours have, have really strong agreement on diagnosis in terms of the prescription of what to do about that in light of that, I think that's where the divergence is. And I think this is where threes are more on the separate reformanda end of the spectrum and fours are are more on deconstruction. Hmm. My concern with deconstruction is this, is at some point we, we can't always be known for what we're against and we're not about, you know, and I think all, all threes and fours would say, you know, we don't want to be about racism, misogyny, sexual abuse, these different kinds of things. Um, but then we do have to land somewhere, right? And we do have to state positively, okay, if we're not for these things, what does it look like 
to address and redress those things through repentance, reform, and renewal versus um, just kind of saying, you know what, this is, guys, I just can't even, you know, this is so messed up, so broken or whatever. Like, you know, we can really run the risk of just saying, you know what, I just don't need this. I'm out. You know, whether that means I'm out belonging, behavior, or belief, you know, and rejecting one of those three, two of those three, or all three. Because mm. I think, you know, deconstruction can move into deconversion. And when you start mm. to move into deconversion, you're talking about, you know, you can, you know, you can deconstruct and dechurch in, in those three categories. You can deconstruct belief-wise of like, well, I no longer believe in this, this, and that. Um, you can deconstruct in terms of belonging of like, okay, I'm out of the institutional church. Like, I just, I'm not going to do that anymore. You know, I'm going to have an alternative way of expressing some of those things. Mm-hmm. And then you can de- deconstruct from a behavior standpoint of like, well, mm-hmm. I used to follow these particular ethical norms, but right. I'm just not going to do that. Anymore. You know, right? You know, whether that's sexuality or um, um, you know, various other, you know, ways that you can, you know, change um, behavioral norms. This restaurant is the hottest ticket in town, an incredible 12 course meal made from fresh, locally sourced ingredients. And now for your ninth and final course. Uh, did they forget the last three? When you don't get what you pay for, it can make you feel a little forgotten. A recent lab study found that most of the top CBD brands contain as little as 60% of what their labels claim. But with Nextevo Naturals, you get 100% of what you pay for. I brought the drinks, ladies. Grabbed us a case of everyone's favorite hard seltzer. Let's celebrate. Hey, wait a minute. It looks like they came half empty. Maybe they forgot to fill them up all the way? You'd never put up with getting 60% of what you pay for. Why should your CBD be any different? Upgrade your CBD to 100% with Nextevo. Go to nextevo.com upgrade20 to shop fast-absorbing gummies, capsules, creams, and more. That's nextevo.com upgrade20. So this is Can I where, get a thought to that? Would yeah, you yeah, yeah. So those, you know. they, I think some, I think for, normally I wouldn't unpack like three, four differences as much as what I am here, but just kind of given your particular audience. Yes. Um, I think it, it would be helpful for people to understand and also know that like, again, it's a spectrum and you're going to land probably somewhere in between a particular thing. And so yeah. these are not, these are not necessarily binaries. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's really good. I think that, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer, like you said, of having good faith conversations, right? Like I tell my audience consistently, like we should be able to listen to perspectives that might, you know, challenge us without getting offended about that. And then we can make the judgment on how we want to proceed. You know, it's up to us or up to you. You know, one thought I I wanted just to kind of just maybe like share. And again, this is not, I can't speak for everyone, you know, but at least the the, the themes I see personally on my account are, um, you know, a lot of us were in the evangelical church um, and, and have either gotten, you know, frankly, just put it bluntly, kicked out or fired for various reasons, including saying things like Black Lives Matter on our Facebook accounts. I mean, I have real stories of that. And I think what's tough for a lot of us is that we desperately do want to see the church, specifically the evangelical church, loving their neighbor better. And we want to see a shift from focus on event to focus on community. Um, but we, we feel that there is, you know, we really feel like a lot of places just don't want us, you know, and like they just see us as like the, the these these frankly liberal Marxists who just want to destroy the church because of, of that that one and two kind of you know perception. Yep. And it's tough because I I know at least for me like you know I'm very committed. Uh, I, I'm not saying that you're not saying I'm not. I'm just you know I'm just giving you some some perspective. You know I'm committed to to evangelicalism. I mean, for crying out loud, my account's called the New Evangelicals. You know, I'm, re- I'm reading the book right now, Discovering an Evangelical Heritage, you know, the, the Wesleyan tradition and how radical it was, you know, abolition right now, um, you know, pro-feminism, you know, um, uh, pro-civil disobedience, you know, I'm just like, 
I like this. You know, there's some radical stuff here. And I think a lot of people um, who are just either hurt or in this, in to use a church word, a season of just like, okay, I need to rethink some stuff. And also we're finding other scholarly sources that have really helped us. Like for me, a big one, I say to every podcast, Bible Project, Tim Mackey, you know, like what they are doing, how they've helped me reframe my relationship to, to the Bible, what it is and what it isn't, combined with guys like N.T. Wright, John Walton, et cetera, it's people who know their stuff who are conservative and their orthodoxy completely, you know, they're not preaching like a, a non-resurrected Christ, has really just made me rethink so much of the, um, the the dogmas that I've been taught my whole life growing up in a homeschool, you know, kind of fundamentalism, John MacArthur type, like, you know, fun, yep. fundamentalist reformed tradition. And it seems like whenever I, we push against that or or we tell the church, you know, hey, we should really repent and, and make be better. The response is, you know, not here. And then when, when we when we vent it on social media, it's now we're divisive, you know. Right. So I just so I think a lot of us feel like we don't know how to do this on their terms that get them to listen to us. <laughs> so now we just say whatever we want and it is what it is. You know? <laughs> well, I, and, you know, and I think it's important for us to name some of this, right? So I think one of the things that we've learned in this five-year period between the national x-ray and the national 3D MRI mm. is that a lot of the unity that maybe we experienced um, in churches kind of growing up had more to do with cultural, political, socioeconomic, and maybe even ethnic factors, um, then, then, you know, I'm sure there's, G there's definitely Jesus in the mix. Right. But yeah. sometimes like when, when push comes to shove and, you know, there's people that you've been in relationship for a long time yeah. and you're like, Hey, I still like you. Like, I, you know, I'm a three year one, you know, like, right. That's okay. Like, we, you know, we, we're good faith, like conversation partners. We have all these relationships with one another you know, yeah, sure. We see, you know, these different things, these things differently. And, you know, sure. I'd love, you know, if there wasn't so much of a gap, you know, kind of between us, but like, I don't reject you, you know, but yes. sometimes what you get in return from that is, well, yeah, I'm, that's cool that you feel that way, but I don't feel that way about you. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and I think that's where the relational tension kind of starts to really rise, especially, you know, if you're in that three to four range, you feel you felt that, you know, because lots of people have probably abandoned you relationally um, yeah. and or either otherized you or um, wanted to put you out or maybe even fired you or um, given you. Yeah. You know, maybe even penalized you for um, for not being, you know, for not being the same spot. And I think this is where there's just a lot of animating, you know, concerns that just aren't quite frankly, aren't Jesus. Right. Mm. And so, um, this is where, right. you know, it's important for us to just kind of, you know, name that and realize, okay, you know, and if you're find yourself in that place of loneliness, you know, and certainly if you're still inside of an evangelical institution as a three or a four, you know, you're, you're going to feel that tension. Um, especially, you know, with anybody 1.5 or below, um, sometimes even two and below. And I think that's really, you know, ones and fours have already decided that they're not going to occupy the same physical spaces. Anymore. So mm. ones and fours will not go to the same churches. Okay. Yeah. Um, that sorting has largely already happened. And so yeah. I think where the, the biggest fault lines are, are ones and threes still kind of find themselves in the same spaces and twos and fours kind of find themselves in the same spaces. And everyone's kind of feeling a little bit uncomfortable about that. And so yeah. I think those are where the next um, two, five, ten years, I'm not sure, we'll kind of see, um, uh, I think, a, a real sorting, a resorting, so to speak, yeah. of evangelicalism. Yeah. And I think what will happen is, um, as I mentioned in the article, there's, you know, every church is a rubber band, okay? And every rubber band has a certain amount of elasticity before it breaks. And I think what's happened over the last five years is the elasticity of the rubber band before it breaks, it breaks under a little bit less tension than what it did before. And so what that means, if at the parachurch level, the denominational level, and then at the local church level, mm -hmm. is that in order for any of those respective level layers of institutions, um, there probably has to be, a t the tent has to probably get a little bit smaller in order for the same level of cohesiveness 
that, that was had before we've experienced this particular cultural moment. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you had, if your institution had, you know, 10 units out of 10 of cohesiveness before all of these things, and you were able to span a range of, you know, 1.5 to 3.5 before, well, yeah. you might not be able to span, you know, a range that's quite that large anymore and still have 10 out of 10 cohesiveness. You're going to experience yeah. more friction, um, you know, as evangelicalism kind of continues to splinter and fracture. And right. so my thesis, and I don't know if I'm right, um, is basically that three kinds of churches will come out of, out of this whole phenomenon of the fracturing of evangelicalism. And so I've called these type A, type B, and type C churches. So okay. type A churches are would be primarily ones and twos. Type B churches would be primarily twos and threes. And then type C churches would be primarily threes and fours. And so um, I think right now, um, you know, most churches are type A or type B. Um, I think type C will be um, a bit of a growing um, area in the years to come as, um, you know, I think we're experiencing a, ge- a generational shift, um, a transition in power, whether that's um, Fortune 500 companies, all the way down to denominations, parachurch entities, all the way down to individual local churches, where power is being handed between, you know, from baby boomers, usually passed over the <laughs> over the Gen Xers, um, to the either the, you know, so you have the older millennials who are sometimes called, um, so any, this would be anyone born from 1978 to 1984. So if you're in the 78 to 84 range, you're either the Oregon Trail generation, the Zennial, or sometimes called geriatric millennials. Um, <laughs> so I think what's, a lot That's of what's funny. happening within, you know, whether it's companies or, you know, or even churches, we have this generational shift in power. And what's unique about the, those born from 78 to 84 is um, they still grew up outside and offline. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't get Wi-Fi and laptops until after undergrad. Yeah. Um, yet they're still familiar with all the tools of the people who are, you know, five, 10, 15 years younger than them. Yeah. And um, we still look, you know, I, I was born in 82. So we still look kind of young, but, you know, but, yeah. we're, but we're starting to feel it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm born in 88. Okay. And so I was like a teenager when, when, when the internet really, well, I was like 12 like when the internet really hit, you yeah. know, so I can still remember a blurred, a blurred background, but I remember just being outside a lot, you know, and yeah. now obviously it's just, it's, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and so I think there's a, just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of this going on, you know, transitionally. Um, I know I didn't mention this before super quickly. Here's what fives and sixes are. Fives are those who are, um, who have actively fully left the church. They're de-churched. Um, what we've learned about the de-churched and who are fives, um, a lot of times there's still a handful of Orthodox beliefs that are there. Um, usually not all of them. Um, usually anytime you see all Orthodox beliefs in somebody who's a five is if they've been a sexual, sexual abuse victim, um, usually in the church environment. Mm. So you have people who are truly like followers of Jesus, some who are fives. Um, it's probably not many, um, but that, that is a thing. Um, so if, if that's you and, um, you find yourself in that, you know, position, like I'm so, I'm, I'm so sorry um, for your experiences. And then finally, um, sixes are those who are de-churched and deconverted. Right. So they're just uh, out. So some five, some fives would be like Dustin Kinsrue from, you know, lead singer from Thrice. Oh yeah. Um, Michael Gunn. His Gunn-Bor. wife follows my account. I felt like so yeah. famous. Like, whoa, <laughs> I can't believe it. You know? <laughs> yeah. If you're listening to Dustin, love your music. And, um, same, same. Matt Jensen, Andrew Lisi say hi. Um, Can but, I comment um, on, 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 on your church um, thesis briefly? Would you mind? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. And our, I, I want to respect your time. I think you have a hard stop in just a few minutes here, sure. I think. Is that, is that correct? Okay. So I'll, I'll be brief and I'll get maybe some of your final thoughts. I, I, I do think your thesis, you know, sounds correct because the, the type C, you know, idea is something that I've been rethinking. I've been thinking about church for years. I mean, longer than, than any of this other stuff. And, you know, I always say like, we have to move from event from a foundational uh, core value of the event is what centers us to the, the community is what centers us. And it has to be a shift. And I find that uh, people in that C, I think you said it's twos and fours, something like that. Three, yeah. You know, threes and fours, which would be primarily fours. your audience. 
Yeah, I mean, we're we're that's the thing is we we want community. We want to be gathered around the Eucharist. We we do want to just uh, you know study the Word. We want those things, but we we just have such a hard time doing it in in spaces that are designed to become spectators a spectator sport. You know, especially especially as a volunteer, my whole life. Yep. You know, a few people volunteer full time, and everyone else just shows up, receives the sugar rush, and goes home. So I I, I do think that 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 Type C. Um, will continue to grow if it hasn't already, you know. And that's more of almost like almost like the Frank Viola kind of house church model a little bit, you know, like that kind of idea, but a little bit different still, I think, for some of us. Yeah, and this is where like I think sometimes people's personalities play into some of these things too. You know, like some people can be, you know, more corporate or more punk rock, you know, like yeah. And some of that will play it, you know, play itself out and might move you know, somebody a little bit, you know, on that scale, you know, if you're more punk rock, you're going to be, you know, a little bit more, you know, like in one direction versus, you know, if you can, yeah. if you have, if you can withstand, um, if you can, if you can look beyond and forgive some of the um, rigidity of institutions and appreciate that sometimes that rigidity can work in in the favor in the long run because of um more comprehensiveness of um assets and centrality um and or what's you know what's possible at with higher degrees of structure and mobilization um you know some of per personality is going to play into that you know yeah. a little bit you know i mean i'm wearing a <laughs> I, I have both of these. My hands are tattooed. You know, you know, I, have so. these, I have these things, you know. Uh, you know, I, I, I might listen to ABR and Polyphia, you know, when I'm nice. Writing, hey, now we're talking. Yeah. All right, but, I'm seeing them but, in, in in Philly soon. They're they're they're, they're local boys. Uh, yeah, ABR, we, so but you wouldn't know it from just looking at me. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, but we got to talk offline about some music choices. Yeah. I'm a drummer, and I'm all about that. So it's great stuff. Yeah. So um, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess, you know, I think that looking forward in terms of my hopes for, yeah. you know, for evangelicalism, I, I think that it really boils down to um, repentance, reform and renewal for me. Yeah. Um, that's what I want to give my kind of life ministerial life to. And yeah. I think a lot of that is going to be fleshed out in ethics and anthropology um, yeah. of um, the, the church in the 21st century, I hope, um, in America is known for, um, diving into the doctrine of the Imago Dei and its implications, mm -hmm. yeah. um, in the early 21st, early middle 21st century. Um, if that isn't what we're known for 50, hundred years, 200 years from now, as church history kind of looks back on us, um, yeah. Uh, I would have my, I have pretty serious concerns. I, I cut my teeth um, ministry wise in my first job working with crew overseas in Italy. Mm. And um, you know, what we saw in Italy kind of felt like a bit of a time machine. Um, mm. What Italy had seen from the 1930s to, to present was a kind of a 90 year battle between the secular left and the secular right. And when I say secular left and secular right, I mean, even more radical expressions of these things than what we've ever seen here. Um, with the secular right, you know, the rise in the thirties and forties of Mussolini and real fascism. Um, and then in the fifties through the seventies, a real blowback to that, a real rise of serious communism and serious, um, socialism, you know, mm -hmm. that would make, you know, anything in, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Northern Europe, you know, be, uh, look pale, um, by comparison, and yeah. so this battle between the secular left and the secular right in Italy um, has very much ravaged the entire country and nobody's mm. left unscathed from it all. Mm. And what it's the fruit that it's borne, um, you know, I saw it firsthand, you know, from 03 to 05 was um, cynicism, powerlessness, um, uh, nothing works, uh, um, disbelief in institutions and um, I mean, in a word resignation. Mm. And so that, and that, that covers any category, um, mm. economic resignation, um, religious resignation, um, uh, relation, you know, I mean, it's just like, so really all you have, you know, left is, um, you know, kind of just 
communities and relationships that are more um, highly localized. And that's where people form their identities is, you know, highly, lo- you know, highly local ways. So secularism will continue to wash over um, the West. And I think this is where Charles Taylor um, is really helpful for, you know, to read. Um, there's a number of different summaries of Charles Taylor. He can't, you know, stomach, you know, um, reading um, our secular age. Um, you can read James K.A. Smith's summary, which is pretty good as well. Um, but, you know, secularism is going to wash over the West. Like, and, it, and that includes America. America is a little bit more stubbornly religious um, than some of our European um, counterparts, whether that's continental Europe or, you know, the UK. Um, and so it won't wash over us in the same way that it, mm. that it has some of those other places. But it's yeah. not done with us. We're just starting the sexual revolution. Um, mm. We haven't found the bottom. We're not at the bottom of the rope of the sexual revolution. There's a, there's a lot more chaos that's coming. Mm. For, for sure, in five or 10 years, people, you know, people are going to start loosening, it, loosening up on things like pedophilia, you know, and probably, you know, the gulags are going to come after me in 20 years for criticizing pedophilia, you know, here, mm. now that I've said this word on, on this app, that you know, where data's living forever, you know, yeah, probably, right, on YouTube, I probably just right. ind- indicted myself, you know, uh-huh. you know, you know, <laughs> forever on this, but these things are going to work their way out. And we, we should have our concerns um, mm. on the left and the right. For me in my context, and, you know, as a, as a type B church, it's primarily twos and threes. I'm more concerned about the secular right than I am the secular left. But the secular left is not, you know, I, I shouldn't ignore my left flank either. It's just like mm. I got a hundred thousand, you know, size army over here <laughs> with, pitch, you know, pitchforks and tiki torches. And then I've got, you know, a 30,000, you know, army on my left flank um, with with different types of weapons, right? And so well, I think what's scary is that at least on the right, it's really embedded with like, Christian nationalism. I mean, that's, you know, it's, I I tell pastors, I talk to pastors often. I always tell them, I said, listen, this will be a hard pill to swallow, but you might think you're discipling your congregation, but Tucker Carlson is discipling them. Sean Hannity is, you know, Charlie Kirk is, that's who's discipling your congregation. Like that's who they're hearing day in and day out. And that should be a problem. Tim, we can't win. Here's the problem. Tell me. It's volume. It's the totally. sheer volume of information, totally. right? You're right. So one of the things I'm, be, I'm going to be working on just in doing some writing on in the future is this idea yeah. of an information diet, okay? Everybody that you interact with has an information diet, right? And part of that information diet, if somebody's churched, might be, they might sit under 30 minutes of preaching a week, maybe 45, depending on your tradition. You might sit under, you know, a, a small group for an hour. You might, um, there might be an hour of education that happens and you might grab coffee with somebody if you're like really involved or whatever right, and you might right. volunteer that's for like an hour. deep cut <laughs> you know like if, if somebody's got all five of those hours i'm like oh my gosh wow okay five hours right exactly right but then you know um what do you do when somebody is you know interacting with cable news two hours a day i don't care whether it's msnbc or fox news or whatever you know and you're listening to this, this, and that voice. We have all the challenges that are going on with like that, like the Netflix documentary, the social dilemma kind of brings up, Yes, totally. Um, you know, in the way the algorithms, you know, algorithms have figured out that fear will keep our attention on your platform faster than love or any other emotion. And so they're going to show me things that keep me on their platform longer because the longer I'm on their platform, the more I can be monetized. If a platform, if a social network is free, then you are the product. I'm the product on Facebook. I'm the product on Twitter. And so they're going to show me things that keep me on their platform longer, which includes things that might make me mad, which might make you wonder like, Hey, why is Facebook showing me like, you know, this, this post from these people, we're not really friends. Like I don't spend much time, you know, like I don't see these people in real life. Well, they're showing them you that because they figured out that you spend 37% more time when you see something that they post you that kind of makes you frustrated or whatever. And so they're going to, wow, cool. Well, when we show them, you know, so-and-so's content, like, well, we can keep them 37%, you know, longer on our thing and, you know, monetize them, you know, 14 cents, you know, per per time you've clicked on our app versus, you know, um, 11 cents, you know? Right. So, and then you have, uh, I think Tim Keller tweeted about this um, the other day on how social media 
is not necessarily an echo chamber so much as it is is a place where people are um, creating and forming um, identities mm. and or signaling to those entities um, in terms of um, how how one identifies. And so um, I think this is another piece to you know to all of that as well because people are looking for um, positive feedback loops and affirmation from your particular tribe. And so this plays itself out with like the fracturing, you know, one start to hang out, how to, you know, hang out online, twos, threes, you know, totally. fours. And the only time they interact, you know, ones, the only times that ones and fours will interact anymore is online. And that's when they're throwing rocks at each other. Totally. But at the end of the day, it's fruitless because it just ends up mutually reinforcing kind of where everybody's at. And right. the only thing that I've learned, you know, um, so my children are black. Um, we had a long infertility journey. And so we have um, currently two adoptive children. They're both black. And from my experience in doing work um, in pursuing racial justice and helping people who are in different parts of that conversation um, actually make any sort of progress one another with one another, the, the only way to do that is through relational intimacy. Mm. Um, I've found that even the best content whether it's writing, speaking, or any other medium, there's no substitute for embodied interaction. Yeah. So I don't really have much hope for um, the unfracturing of any of these things because I don't really see many cultural or sociological forces that are putting, that are encouraging us to have um, embodied interaction. <laughs> and I say that here as, you know, on a Zoom interview, you know. Right. So I, right. Think, I think until... Until there, I guess, maybe is like a cultural or sociological revolt against um, digital mediums. And I'm not saying that in like a Luddite way, but um, until we really are are face to face and embodied with one another, I just don't see any of these things really changing. And I I, I don't know. I'm just I'm not trying to be cynical. I want to be, you know, tremendously hopeful. But I think for me, the hope is in that sem- semper reformanda of, yeah. you know, we need to bring um, repentance, reform and renewal um, yeah. to the church. And until we yeah. do that, things are um, probably going to con- continue to fracture and to continue to decline. Yeah, I think that's well said. Um, you know, for the record, like I'm all about um, always reforming. I've used that, that line before. And um that's a lot of our, I think a lot of, for me, my, my motivation to even renegotiate, you know, my faith, like, what does it really mean to be a Jesus follower in mm-hmm. 2021? <laughs> you yeah. know, like, like I, what, what, what keeps me up at night is thinking about what are the things that I'm not seeing now that I can look so clearly back, you know, in the past and go, Oh, slavery, how could Christians support that? What are the things now that I am like not aware of that are happening now right. that in 50 years Christians will say, how could Tim not see that right in front of him, that huge injustice, you know, because I mean, that is, like you said, we, there's such a dehumanization of people in, in every way, economically, you know, racially, um, all, you know, product wise, right. Like with, with social media, you know, we're the product. And it's like, I think that what must be cling to and what must be so foundational to the Christian is that every human being reflects the image of God. And that's tricky for me when it comes to like my opponents politically, right? You know, the, the ones right now, I follow Jeff Durbin, I follow James White and I see their Twitter and I just go, Oh my God, like I'm losing my mind, you know, but I have to remember like, you know, you, you can oppose someone and you, you can oppose someone's views and theology without dehumanizing them. Like, like it's possible to do both at the same time. You know, you can say, Actually, I don't think that's healthy at all without without belittling the Imago Day inside of them. And I think yes. that's how you break that cycle, right? Because if not, like I always tell my account, we don't want to become fundamentalists of the other side. Right. Like I'm not trying to be a fundamentalist again. I'm trying to leave that and live in this tension, live in this gray, yes. you know, and realize that like life is more nuanced and complicated <laughs> and, 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 and anyone online can make anyone sound like anyone, you know? And like you said, I've, I've had the best interactions when people will DM me, you know, you're a heretic, you're this. And I just send them an audio message. Actually, my name's Tim. This is my account. You know, more, more than willing to talk. And it, it's, instant disarm i mean every time yep. and, the, and the people who who want to talk will respond back and we have a pretty 
I would say productive conversation, you know, and they yep. end up they they end up understanding my perspective better, even if it, even if they don't agree with it. So I'm with you on all that. But I listen. I appreciate you um, making the time, you know, in an afternoon and from your busy schedule. Um, where can people find you? Are are you online? Do you have do you have some kind of public account that people can find you on? Yeah, I mean, probably the primary place would be Twitter. I think I've renamed myself um, down here. If it, if this shows up in the thing, um, I'm at MSG. So those are my initials. Okay. Got like it. Monosodium, monosodium glutamate. <laughs> um, right. So MSG right. Um, writes W R I T E S. Well, I'll put uh, I'll put a link in show notes, of course, to the article and into your Twitter. And uh, yeah, listen, definitely keep in touch. You know, I I think that um, for this to work, there has to be, like you said. Despite me, I'm sure you and I can find plenty of things that we would disagree on theologically or socially, but it's all about, you know, what are the good faith conversations we can have and what can we agree on and say, yes, like, let's push this forward. You know, like Imago Day, sign me up. Where do I sign? Let's go, you know? Yeah. So, so definitely keep in touch and and I appreciate you making the time. All right. Thank you so much, Tim. I really appreciate you and um, God bless everybody out there. Um, I hope that Jesus meets you um, wherever you're at and whatever you've seen. Well said. Thanks so much, Mike. Thank you.